morning, church. I was uh, hoping to see you in person for the first time, but I'll settle for an audience of four in a cold barn in Ladner. Uh, I hope this finds you well, and uh, thankfully Ladner did not flood, so I'm happy to be here. Um, I wanted to start by sharing with you a little bit of what goes on inside of my mind, and I hope that's not too scary, but I think it's something that goes inside of your mind too. So I'll be walking down the hallway of my school, and I'll hear a couple teachers gossiping, and I'll think, ooh, I want to do that. They're often complaining about administration, and I think that would feel great. I would love to gossip about my administration. And so <clears throat> what I realized is there's a little dialogue going on in that moment that I think it's really helpful to flesh out. So here's what happens. I hear the gossip. I want to join. And so I pray when I can out loud. I say, uh, Jesus, I want to do that. And then I think the Holy Spirit says, you know, you shouldn't. And I say, okay, I want to pretend that it doesn't matter if I do. And then I think the Holy Spirit says, so you want to ignore me. Okay, I want to pretend it doesn't matter. I want to pretend you don't exist, because I'm just going to be honest. And I want to pretend there won't be any consequences for what I do. And then I think the Holy Spirit says, but you won't like yourself when you're done. And this, this is really kind of what sticks with me as I've realized about this dialogue is that my choices throughout the day aren't just about behavior, they're about identity. That in every little single moment, with every little thought or feeling or choice, I'm actually deciding who I'm going to be, not just what I'm going to do. And in order to do what I want to do, I have to pretend that God doesn't exist. And so... <clears throat> Um, it's a reflection of my image, of my identity. It's, it's a question of who am I going to be in life, but who am I going to be in this moment? And that's what we're talking about today, is we're talking about devotion, worship, identity, which is both a series of moments or individual moments, and it's also the sum total of all of those moments. Now, no one can live their life walking around, critically thinking about their inner dialogue and every thought and feeling. Like nothing would get happen if we do that. However, our behaviors and our choices and our thoughts in every given moment matter. And like every stroke of a paintbrush, they come together to make a picture. And the question is, is what is that going to be a picture of? What image are we going to bear? when it's all put together. So this is what Colossians is talking about. It's that you are what you eat. You bear the image of whatever you devote yourself to. And it's both the little moments throughout the day, which we like to pretend don't matter. And it's also the sum total of all of those moments put together that create this picture. Um, I want to start by encouraging you, though, that your devotion to God 
rests in his devotion to you. So <clears throat> I want to talk about the threats to devotion. And I have a warning that I, for you that I think is very important. But I want to start by saying your devotion to Christ is based on his devotion to you. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. So if you call yourself a follower of Christ, your devotion and your worship and your image bearing is not based on your perfection or your ability to devote yourself to him. It's based on his devotion to you. Uh, what I'd like to do is I just like to start by reading Colossians 2. I don't think I can say it any better. And uh, I think we just need to read the whole chapter. So I think there's some verses up on the screen. I'm going to read through the chapter. Hopefully you don't fall asleep. Uh, here we go. Colossians chapter 2. Oops. One book too early. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me uh, personally. My purpose is they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine sounding arguments. For though I am absent from the body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith is in Christ. So then just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. That is a sentence worth pondering. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision by the, done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship their false humility and harsh treatment of the body. 
but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So what I love about Colossians is it's not talking about what devotion is. It's telling us why it's so important what we devote ourselves to and what happens to us based on who and what we devote ourselves to. What it's saying is that Christ is sufficient. Christ is complete. Christ was there at the beginning. Christ was there at the end. And our identity is rooted in Christ. He who began the good work. You know, you can take your Bible off the shelf, but you can't put God on a shelf. He's not one of the things you pull down when you need some self-help. He just isn't your devotion. He is devotion. He just isn't your source of love. He is love. He is all. He is everything. He is supreme. He's the focus and attention of our devotion. And so Colossians is imploring. Paul is writing to a church he's never met because of their faithfulness and their devotion. He's encouraging them to continue on because it matters. It matters that you're devoted to Christ and not anything else. Uh, So Paul also outlines two threats, two threats that come against your devotion to Christ. So uh, this is where the warning comes in. You are going to devote yourself to something. Our culture would have you believe that we're compartmentalized. They would take your identity and they would chop it up into a bunch of little pieces, segregate it like some kind of mosaic. And then I think Canadian culture in particular would say, you can have your God, but you keep him private. You keep him on the shelf. Colossians is telling us that's not how it works. You will devote yourself to something. And if you don't devote yourself to Christ, you devote yourself to something you're being sold out there. That's our culture. It's, it's the world we live in. So what is it that they're selling us? And it's so important we don't devote ourselves to. I'd like to, I'd like to refer to it um, in two kind of ways. The first is uh, it's, the, it's the biological uh, way of thinking. So every time the world asks you to devote yourself to its way of living and thinking, um, it always sells you on the idea of liberation. We will make you free if. And the if is something like honor your biology. So the line would go, I was born this way. I'm on the spectrum. I'm attracted to this kind of person. I have ADHD. I was born this way. Nothing I can do about it. I have desires. I have urges. And the world goes, you're due. And you should honor those. You should act on those. What's wrong? It's just who you are. You were born that way. As if somehow the physical self has determined who you are. They're they're promising freedom, but actually you're just enslaved to your desires. 
and you don't actually end up liking who you are. The other one is actually uh, a contradiction to it, but that's okay. The world contradicts itself all the time. The other one is choice. So one is biological determinism. The other one is choice. You don't like who you are, be whoever you want. In fact, we have a whole bunch of terms and labels you can use to redefine yourself. Morality, sexuality, gender, it's all up for grabs. You're, you're like a, a pound of clay and you just get to mold yourself. And when you mold you in your image, you're free. The problem is people still don't like themselves because they are a reflection. They're bearing the image of what they're devoting themselves to. And it's, it's the worldly wisdom. It's the, as Paul would call it, the elemental powers, the special wisdom. I want to I give you an example to highlight this. Tim, can you put up that picture, please? <clears throat> this is a famous painting of Lenin five years after the Russian Revolution. And it's a significant painting because it's a little ironic. It's a painting that kind of used religious icon and symbols, which is ironic for a communist country. <clears throat> uh, Russian peasants lived under terrible oppression for their race, their economic status, and their gender. And so the communists came along, the Bolsheviks, and they said, I know how you'll be free. You should cast off your oppressor. But along with that was a very strict rule. You can't have any gods. Communism did not want to compete with the worship of a god. And so you were killed or persecuted if you espoused any outward belief about uh, being a worshiper of a god. And so the people who were oppressed and living in terrible conditions bought in and devoted themselves to Marxism and devoted themselves to Lenin. And through a bloody revolution, I mean bloody, cast off their oppressors. And then Russia went on under successive leaders to commit some of the most heinous acts in the 20th century, rivaling that of Nazi Germany and the Holocaust. And here's why I use this example. I'm not making any parallels today. Here's why I'm using this historic example. Is there was a whole movement that tried to erase God from the picture because they thought if you remove religious devotion, you'll liberate people. But here's what happened. People devoted themselves to a man named Lenin and Stalin, and they devoted themselves to an ideal called communism, and they devoted themselves to a state called Russia. And what was Russia selling? What was communism selling? I'll liberate you from your oppressor, and the state will look like you, working class. The problem is everyone was just made in communism's image. And historians ask themselves, how is it that ordinary people would commit such terrible crimes? How do ordinary men and women commit acts of murder and violence and brutality and theft? 
These aren't the Hitlers of the world. These are just ordinary people. Well, they devoted themselves to an ideology. They devoted themselves to the state. They devoted themselves to something that made it in their image. And they bore that, they acted it out. You see, you can try to remove God from the picture. You can try to put God on a shelf, but you will devote yourself to something. And whatever you're made in the image of, you will act on. And we're seeing it all today. We're being told you're oppressed because of your skin color. You're oppressed because of your gender and your sexuality. And people are. They're not wrong. People are persecuted for all of those things. And worldly wisdom says, <coughs> let us liberate you and you'll be free. Overthrow your oppressor. And we see it happening in the streets. People are not free. They still don't like themselves and they're being made in someone else's image. The world always oppresses you even though it sells you freedom. And it will seductively entice you to put God on a shelf. That's not how devotion works. You are what you eat. You will behave what you believe about yourself and others. So who are you devoting yourself to? Okay, that's the first threat to our devotion, the external threat from worldly wisdom. There's a whole other threat. <clears throat> and in some ways, this one's even more uh, uh, problematic. It's uh, what I call the, the internal reaction. The, it's a knee-jerk reaction to everything on the outside. This is what I'm guilty of. See, I work in a public institution, so I always feel like the world's trying to crawl in and slowly infect my thinking like a frog in a boiling pot of water. It doesn't know it's being cooked alive. So I want to kind of knee jerk and, and turn to all of these religious behaviors. I want to start doing things on the outside that shows the world and shows other Christians that I'm really a Christian. And so I get outward with my behavior. I get performance driven. The way I read my Bible, the way I pray, the way I attend meetings, fasting, Sabbath, all of those things, they become about performance. They become about proving to everyone else, but actually proving to me that I'm really still a Christian because I do these things. Can you see how I would be tempted to do that? And I think some of you as well. Maybe some of you are seduced by worldly wisdom. And I'd like to warn you against that today. You can't put God on a shelf, but maybe some of you are like me. And you get performance driven, you get religious, you get behavioral, you start acting out the things to prove to yourself that you're really a Christian because you're anxious that you're not in this world that we live in. But Paul addresses those things too. He says, all of those things you do on the outside, you're actually just doing them for you and for others. You still haven't devoted yourself to Christ. What am I doing? I'm making myself in my own image. And then what am I doing? It's even worse. Is I'm saying to you, if you did these things too, then you would really be a Christian. Look how bad it is out there. I mean, I just described how bad it is. It's pretty bad. Look how bad it is out there. 
I know what you should do. I'll liberate you. You should look and behave like me. That's religiousness. That's the other threat to your devotion. I find that very seductive and tempting. But I've actually only devoted myself to me and my behavior. And it's just hard to see because they're all good things. But not only am I shaping you in, your, in my image, but I'm just trying to prove to myself that I'm really a Christian and I haven't actually got around to devoting myself to Christ. So these are the two threats. Don't, don't believe for a moment that there aren't elemental forces in the world, in society, in government, that is trying to shape you in its image. They preach freedom, you will only be a slave and you will only hate yourself more. But don't, in anxiety and fear, trying to prove that you're really a Christ follower, lead people into external behaviors. Because then we become hypocrites. As Paul said, when you act out this religious behavior, it does nothing for the root issue, your sinful desires. You know that inner dialogue I talked about? Uh, A Sabbath, a fast, a Bible reading. If it's not about being devoted to Jesus, it doesn't actually deal with the inner dialogue which I want to just ignore Jesus when I want to do what I want to do. It doesn't fix that. And so I become a hypocrite. And then the world looks in at the church and the world goes, oh, I see who you really are. You're a fake. You're a fake. You talk about righteousness and goodness, but when no one's looking, you do the same things we do. You're a hypocrite. I'm a hypocrite. It's a real threat to our devotion. So that's the warning I want to give you this morning is, is, is those two threats. But I started with encouragement and I want to end with encouragement. So don't put Jesus on a shelf, but do continue, establish, confirm, and have hope. This is what Paul calls us to. He says to the Colossians, Do you remember when you first fell in love with Jesus? Do you remember what captivated you about the gospel? Do you remember what liberated you from your thoughts and your feelings and your impulses and all the distractions? Do you remember Christ's devotions to you? Devote yourself to him because he devoted to you first. And remind yourself of who Jesus is and his greatness and his goodness, and let him form your image. You were already made in his image, but let it renew you every day and in every moment. Remember your first love. He has all authority, so your life belongs to him. Acknowledge him as savior. He is the source, the life, of our complete spiritual development. We are to walk in dependence upon him. I'm just quoting Paul. He will give you a stability which nothing can subvert. And your devotion to him is based on his devotion to you. He who began a good work will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. So I'm not inviting you today to uh, overthink Every little moment. Uh, 
I'm happy to do that for you. Even I can't do that for very long. It's tedious and overwhelming. But there is a dialogue going on in your head. And in that moment, your thoughts and behaviors matter. They create, they paint a picture of who you are, your identity. And if it's not Christ, it'll be something else. But in those moments, please rest in the fact that it's not about your perfection. It's about your direction. I want to invite you this morning to repent of devoting yourself to worldly wisdom, of devoting yourself to religiousness, and to redevote yourself to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. Who were the disciples? Just 12 people who God called to follow, and they thought they were following the next best teacher, rabbi. And as they followed him and began to understand who he is, they would have these moments where their eyes would open and they would go, and he would say to them, who do you think that I am? And they would say, you are the Christ. And he would say, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Your eyes have been opened to see. They were just following him and not sure why. And I think that's kind of what we're like. We're going through life and we're struggling with our devotions and our decisions every day. And then there's these moments where we see Jesus and we go, it's you. It's always been about you. You're the one I always wanted. You're the one I want to be like. And the kingdom of God arrives and we're renewed in his image. It helps my heart to know that we're just like those those disciples fumbling around, trying to follow, and every once in a while getting a glimpse of who Jesus really is. And I hope this morning is that glimpse for you. Remember his goodness and his greatness, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Remember why you first fell in love with Jesus and devote yourself to him. Let me pray. Father, I just confess that I'm often distracted from being devoted to you. Whether it's the world or myself, I just turn to the left and the right constantly. And sometimes I'm very overwhelmed at the thought that every moment matters. I don't know how to decide who I am. I feel stuck between who I want to be and what I feel like I should or shouldn't do. You're the true liberator. My identity in you is real freedom. And so this morning, I repent of my religiousness. And I devote myself to you in a renewed and refreshing way as the author and, protect, and the protector of my faith. Thank you that you will complete the work you've started. Amen.